there is this guy who comes on television late at night. And some of you may have seen him. Now, of course, well, as I say that, some of you aren't up late at night like I am. But, uh, that's right, Philip. I'm, I'm, we know. I'm a night owl, right, man? And so, uh, but there's this guy that comes on and then he starts quoting scripture. And then he will say some things about Jesus that I, I often think, well, that, that's, that's wonderful. And then at some point he'll ask for money. And that part I always thought was a little bothersome to me, but it's ministry and television advertising is expensive, I'm sure, and so I overlooked that part. But there's this one thing he says sometimes. It's not every time he comes on, but sometimes. He uses this acronym for the Bible. Turns the word, the letters B-I-B-L-E into this, into this acronym. And it says, basic instruction before leaving earth. I don't know if any of you have ever heard that before. But I think to myself, really? Basic? Because there's a lot of stuff in that thick book that's beyond basic. God's Word to me is so much more than basic instruction. And so, while I appreciate that he is using that medium to tell people about the love of Jesus, which is wonderful, he and I will just have to, as the saying goes, agree to disagree on that one point. Because I feel like the Bible is so much more than that. The Bible is part history. It's part poetry. It's part inspiration. There is this whole middle section of the Bible that is this ancient songbook, the Psalms. It's been quoted from this morning. We just sang it, didn't we, Chad? That thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so in the ancient of days, they would have chanted that chanted those words. And then the Bible is part prophecy. The Bible is part narrative, which is just a fancy word for story. And the Bible can be sort of the bedrock of our faith. The Bible is this one overarching story of God's love for His people. Probably the best way I ever heard it put was some years ago, a group of us went to Gatlinburg and attended Winterfest. Any of y'all that ever want to go back, just let me know. Let's go. Hayden, you on board? Okay, let's go. And so... And so, yeah, it, we're at Winterfest, and someone that has been a, a guest speaker at Winterfest for years and years, he's now affiliated with Pepperdine University in California, but Jeff Walling. And Jeff Walling was talking about the Bible. And you may have heard me use this example once before, tell the story once before, but Walling was talking about, he said, imagine that someone gives you a gift. But they take the time to write a love letter. And you 
you get up in the morning and you come down the stairs and your beloved has has got a gift there, you know. It's your birthday, it's your anniversary, it's some special occasion. And then they've they've got the, the gift and nobody wraps anymore. We stick them in gift bags, right? And so there's the gift bag there. But then right there propped up on the gift bag, it's not just a simple card, it's a love letter. And then he gave the example of they just look at the letter and just toss it to the side and then start reaching for the gift. Oh, thank you very much. And Walling uses this example of that God has given us this amazing gift. He has given us through His gracious love for us the gift of a Savior. And it's like sometimes maybe we say, oh, praise God, He gave us a Savior. But then we never take the time to read the love letter. And so what we're talking about today is a return to the Word. And we're going to sort of work through that this morning as we move forward. But we begin with a group of people who are used as an example by Luke in the book of Acts. A group of people that seem to hold the Bible in especially high esteem. Now, they didn't have a Bible in the form that we have a Bible today. They didn't have the New Testament scriptures. They were living out the New Testament at the time. But we read about these folks in a place called Berea. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And so uh, the folks in Berea have heard Paul's message. They're Jews. Jews worship in the synagogue. And so Paul shows up. The synagogue was typically his first point of contact. He started with the Jewish community and then radiated out from there when he would go into a new city. And so uh, the Berean Jews are noted by Brother Luke as being people who were especially eager to receive the message. But then what did they do, church? They didn't just say, well, that's cool. No, they searched the scriptures. In other words, they searched what we refer to as the Old Testament. And they searched those prophecies to see if, if this Jesus that Paul is telling them about lined up with what they read in places like Isaiah 53. And so they, as a result then, through reasoning, through their study of Scripture, came to believe, came to have faith in Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. 
And so, one of my favorite verses about the value of the Scriptures is from Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You ever think of your Bible as doing that? When you read it on your own, and I hope you do, if you have a quiet time, if you have a time that, you know, if you're like me, maybe the first thing you grab in the morning when you wake up is that phone. Has any, have I missed any calls, any text messages? What do the emails look like? And then within all that, I've got those notifications about the verse of the day or the devotional of the day. And that's a portion of how I can start my day, and I know many of you do that as well. Boy, it's important if we have time that we set aside at least a few times a week to study Scripture on our own. And some can think of it as this ancient book that it's hard to apply to our lives today. And oh, I fear that too many people have that view of their Bible. But we see what the Hebrews writer wrote in his letter. That the Word of God is alive and powerful. And if you are in God's Word, I know you have experienced that at times. What we're talking about, church, today is revival. And if you're like me, you heard about revivals when you were growing up. In the churches of Christ, they would tend to, instead of using the term revival, they would often use the term gospel meeting. And so churches would hold gospel meetings. And they did them different times of the year. Some congregations did one. Some did more than one. But what we're talking about in this series that starts today is not simply a special group of church services. Because revival in its basic form is so much more than that. It's not a term that is actually found in Scripture. But it is a term that Scripture gives us many examples of. And we think about revival, it's important for us to have a definition of revival. And I've gotten ahead of myself. The work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to a more vital spiritual life, witness, and work by prayer and the Word after repentance in crisis for a spiritual decline. Now we're going to come back to that definition once again as we, after we look at this guy named Josiah that we read about in 2 Kings chapter 22. I remember being fascinated by Josiah when I was young because my mother told me he became king when he was only eight years old. 
And I remember thinking, you mean he got to tell everybody what to do, even the grown-ups? You know, so I was fascinated by uh, someone who ascended to the throne at such a young age. And uh, the writer of Kings tells us this, uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother name, his mother's name was Jediah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozketh. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Now, we move down to verse 8. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Probably here, church, referring to what we know as Deuteronomy. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Now why, church, would upon hearing this, would Josiah tear his robes? It's because he's distraught. It's because he is just now learning because this book has been missing for some time. Now, biblical scholars have different theories as to how it became missing, how it got set aside. They didn't have their own copies in homes like we do. They weren't able to bring a copy, take a copy of Scripture with them like we do. Scripture was written on large scrolls, but nonetheless, this copy of the book, this book of the law had been missing for some time. And so, we don't know exactly how many years, but nonetheless, it was missing and therefore God's people were not following the law. God's people were not observing those beautiful ancient practices that God had instituted them for, for them to observe so they could remember. So those, those festivals and those practices, the sacrifices, so that those, those things that would shape their faith and strengthen their walk with God. And all that had been missing. And so Josiah tears his robes because he knows two things. He knows, number one, they have not been obedient, but he also knows that they have been missing out. If you're with us this morning and you have a walk with God, and you know how God has blessed your life, then you imagine how Josiah feels. We've not been obedient. We've missed out. Because Josiah understands his place as a spiritual leader 
for the people of Israel. And so we move down uh, to verse 15. Because they have now gone to Huldah. And Huldah is a, uh, is a prophet. And so in verse 15 it says, She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, Tell the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says, I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. And so I want to read that definition of revival again, because that's what Josiah is instituting to the people of Israel. Because we know what it's like, don't we, church? To have a point in our life that maybe we had faith and then for whatever reason, we stepped away from our faith. Maybe we just got complacent. Maybe we just let the world kind of creep into our lives and sort of take over the way they did. Maybe in our own way, and I'm speaking metaphorically here, but in our own way we burned incense to the false idols that the world offers up. Maybe it's because of a season of grief that we were dealing with. And we know that grief comes in different forms. We typically associate grief with death, with loss of life. But it could be Grief from financial hardship. If you know what it's like to lose a job, to walk into work one day and be blindsided, that hey, they're making cuts and unfortunately you're one of the cuts the company's making. And very sorry for this, but this is how it is. You know, one day you have a job and then the next moment you don't. And so then it might take a while to recover from that. Maybe it's a grief from a problem with relationships, marriages, friendships that have gone south, uh, struggles with between parent and child, and the list can go on and on and on. But through a season of grief, and you thought to yourself, well, as a child of God, I thought I was supposed to be blessed. And so maybe that's what caused you to say, if that's the best that God can do, no thanks. 
I, I don't need it. But then, maybe something happens. Ooh, I had a brother in Christ who just stood here a little while ago telling him how grateful he was to be able to get up in front of a body of believers and lead a prayer. And I know enough about its story to have some idea of what he's referring to. Because having a roof over your head and having a job is a lot different than living in that tent in North Carolina behind the big box store, right? And he was able to stand here before us and say, I have been redeemed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Vic Nichols knows a little something about redemption. He knows something about revival. Yeah. And so, Josiah has had this realization, this understanding that there is a crisis going on. And so it brings us back to that definition of revival. The work of the Holy Spirit. It's not us doing the work. It's us coming back to God and yielding to God. And letting God through His Spirit do the work. The work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to a more vital spiritual life a more vital spiritual witness and work by prayer and the Word after repentance in crisis for a spiritual decline. And you might be sitting here and saying, well, you know, there are times that I've been close to God and there have been times that I've been a little further away from God. But I don't know that I would call it a crisis church family, let's get something straight. Anytime we are in spiritual decline, we are in crisis. Woo! Yeah! Woo! Yeah! When we're in spiritual decline, there's a crisis going on in our lives. But praise God, it's not a crisis that cannot be overcome. And so when we turn the page again and we look at 2 Kings 23, the king gave the order to all the people, celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. Neither in the days of the judges who led Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. This he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had discovered in the temple of the Lord. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength 
in accordance with all the law of Moses. Yeah. Those words are not written by accident, church. The writer of Kings, with all his heart, all his soul, all his strength. And right there, those words echo the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. The Lord your God is one God. And thou shalt love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And so we see here now that Josiah has brought the people to revival. He has revived Jewish custom. He has revived the practice of going to the temple and making sacrifices. They have revived the Passover. Why is that important? Because the Passover was instituted so they would remember this is what God has done for us. If you were here last week, that's what everything centered around. Adam Nutt's testimony. This is what the Lord has done for me. Think about those stones of remembrance that were stacked together by each representative of the 12 tribes after they had crossed the Jordan on dry land, a dry riverbed, and then pulled those big stones out of the Jordan and stacked them up so that people say, hey, why are those stones stacked there? And someone who knew would have an opportunity to say, this is what the Lord did for our people. And so Josiah has brought the people back to God. They have experienced revival. Sometimes revival is experienced by a congregation. But church, it's up to us to experience revival on our own if it's necessary. When you're, if you're here this morning and you're in that place where you say, you know, my spiritual walk hasn't been what it needs to be. That I could honestly say, I used to be here and now I'm not there anymore. And you realize this morning that you are in a state of spiritual decline. That you're in your own spiritual crisis in a way. It starts by coming back to the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I like how it reads in this particular translation. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And I don't have uh, the, the pages in front of me, uh, but uh, I may have left it back at my seat or who knows where. But I read this week that uh, there was a research group that wondered, you know, what did the pandemic do to people's spiritual lives? And so it was polling uh, Christians and wondering, okay, how many people still have a relationship with God's Word? 
Now, here's how they defined a relationship with God's Word. Because the preacher that stands before you, encourage you encourages you to have a relationship with God's Word every day if you can. Every day. But they defined a relationship with God's Word as that you read the Bible on your own outside of a church setting three to four times a year. A year. That, in other words, the research group was setting the bar very low. That, yeah, you, outside of a church setting, that you take the time to open God's Word on your own. And that it was three to four times a year was all they were saying. And what they found is pre-pandemic, that number was 50%. One in two people polled that identified as Christians would read the Bible three or four times a year outside of a church setting. Post-pandemic, that number had dropped to below 40%. I don't know what it is about all that sheltering in place and binging Netflix and whatever else people did during the pandemic that put a wedge between them. Maybe it's just simply houses of worship not being open all the time. I don't know the answer to that. But the research, at least by this one group, showed that there was a substantial number of people and so now that, that number is down to around 35-38% of people that read God's Word outside of church just three to four times a year. Now church, if all we're doing is reading the Bible that seldom, I submit to you, that Christianity is in a spiritual crisis and in need of revival. But it is up to us. We're going to look at a different aspect of revival next week, but this week the focus has been on Scripture. And I didn't plan it that way, but on a day that we gave out Bibles to first graders because we give out Bibles when people dedicate their babies to the Lord. We'll be doing that again in December. And then we give out Bibles when someone graduates high school or is baptized into Christ, whichever comes first. And so there was quite a gap there. And so that's why instituting this practice of at an age when someone is starting to learn to read, to put a Bible in their hand. And so, we church need to be people of the book. We need people who have a relationship with God that is strengthened by God's Word. That is what God calls us to do. There is example upon example in Scripture of how important Scripture itself is. Telling us that it's all inspired by God. God breathed, as many translations put it. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. 
And he uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Church family, God calls us to be people who, when we recognize that we're distant from Him, that we return to Him by returning to the Word. May God help us to do that. If you're with us this morning and you have not yet proclaimed Christ as your Lord, then we give you the opportunity to do that each and every Sunday when we gather. When we sing this song in just a moment, that it is an open invitation for you to walk the aisle and say, Today is the day I'm ready to proclaim Christ as my Lord. The waters of baptism are available to begin life anew as God's new creation. And if you're with us this morning and you've got something weighing on you, maybe it's just because your spiritual life has been in decline. And you find yourself this morning hearing this message and saying to yourself, Wow, I am in a bit of a crisis. Doesn't matter what got you there. What matters is that you want to correct it. And maybe you'd appreciate the prayers of faithful brothers and sisters to help you do just that. Whatever your need, we're here to receive you. Let's stand and sing. Jesus is standing.